Welcome to the I Run My Life podcast. I'm Tyler Durasso with Modern Realty. And this week I sat down with Melissa Laundry and we discussed her 21 year running journey that she's gone through so far, starting with what she describes as an inconsistent first eight years where she would essentially just run to the traffic light and back that was down the road before moving down to Virginia and eventually meeting a group that encouraged her to explore 5Ks, 10Ks, ultimately half marathons, marathons, before jumping into the ultra running world where uh, she's completed tons of races, including races as far as 250 miles. Uh, so her running journey is pretty incredible. Uh, Melissa and I also took time to talk about the struggles and the female running community and how much more difficult um, it is on a day-to-day -day basis than it is for myself uh, and other men in the sport, things that we don't even think about being problems, being problematic for Melissa and all the other females in our sport. Um, so it's a conversation that I think everyone should listen to. I think it's a conversation everyone can learn something from. And hopefully we can all find a way to keep everyone a lot more safe out there enjoying the things we love to do. So let's get to it. All right, here we go. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I have Melissa Laundry with me. Hey. Hi, Melissa. How's it going? I, well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so kind. Thank you. No, I'm excited to have you. Uh, so we were just talking a minute ago that we've met once for all of maybe 45 seconds yeah. at the most. Uh, you were doing a race last year. I came out on a back road just to say hi, good luck, have fun. And that's kind of the extent of it. So I'm really excited to get to know you today. But before we start, you just did a race a few days ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Over you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I did the, um, it's Elsie Enduro on Endurance Trail Run. And it's a last person standing run. And it was so hard. I've never done one before. And I'm, I really wanted to challenge myself this year and sign up for one because I've always been hesitant because of the, you know, there's only one winner, like really, ultimately there's only one person. And so I, I felt like I really needed to challenge my ego to be like, it's, it's one or none. So it was, it was a great experience. It was really difficult. A lot of elevation gain. I made 50 miles. I'm happy with it. You know, it's, it was a great experience, great training. Yes. No, that's awesome. I'm happy because we talked a little bit, uh, on a Facebook post, I feel like last year, um, about you being nervous to do one of those. And it's a huge ego check. Like you said, there's one winner, there's one finisher in mm -hmm. reality. Everyone else is technically, it did not finish since they didn't make it the full way. So good for you. I'm glad you did that. How's the legs feeling? Oh, pretty good. I, I feel pretty decent today. Definitely. I was like immediately after I got some sleep and, and rested, I was starting to feel a lot better. So, um, I hope maybe I'll run today or tomorrow and we'll get them okay. back. <laughs> so you're originally from Michigan, but live in Virginia, right? Correct. Yes. You got a lot of climbing. I'm sure you do on your everyday runs down there. If I, if I run anywhere else besides the rail to trail that I have my race on, it's, there's always elevation. Like if I'm running okay. around the neighborhood, if I'm running, you know, down the road, if I'm on a trail, like, unless it's the rail to trail, I've got elevation, a lot of it. Okay. Because <laughs> this this one you did was a little bit different than most backyards, right? It wasn't 4.167 miles. 
your loop was two and a half? Two and a half, yes. And instead of a full hour to complete it, you had 40 minutes? Yes. Okay, awesome. And so total you climbed how many thousand feet? Uh, 9,600. 9,600, there we go. So just shy of a third of Mount Everest, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of climbing. All right. Well, so let's take it back then, Melissa. When did you, have you always ran since you were young or was that something you found in your adult life? Uh, well, I had to find it in my adult life. So I played volleyball and basketball and soccer growing up in Michigan and loved team sports. And I really found so much good connection playing sports and a lot of confidence playing sports. And then when I got to college, so I went to SVSU for undergrad. And then there's like, you're either like on a college team or you're not doing anything, but they did have a little bit of co-ed team. So I played some co-ed soccer until, you know, it just got to the point where it's like, I, I needed something to do and I needed to still be physically active. And so I kind of fumbled my way into running because historically running had always been a punishment with basketball and soccer and volleyball. So if you would have asked me then if I was going to be a runner, I would have, there's absolutely no way I thought I was going to be able to do it. <laughs> I love it. It did used to be a punishment. So when you started, did it start out as I'm just going to run around the block a couple of times a week or kind of right when you started, did you pick a 5k or pick an event and I want to go do that. It was literally, I was just running because I was living in Saginaw at the time, just from my apartment to like the, to the, to the next stoplight and then back to my apartment. And I, I didn't have a watch. Like I, I just grabbed whatever shoes I had. Like I didn't really have running clothes. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even know 5k's existed at that <laughs> point. Like it didn't, I didn't know that until I moved to Virginia and I had some friends wow. sign up for a 5K and, and I was like, sure, but I had no idea what I was doing. I, I, when I say I stumbled into running, I really stumbled into running and then it's just become like this slippery slope. Yeah, it escalates quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so how long did you do that for then? Just kind of stop lighting and backing? I would say that was from 2003 until 2011. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm not being consistent, not doing it the right way, fumbling my way through. What, uh, what challenges, if any, I guess, during that, uh, eight year run, did you run into where you're like, this stinks, this part's awful. I want to quit because of this. The biggest thing that got in my way was that I wasn't consistent. So that entire eight years, I was never consistent. And so it was always really hard. Like I, I didn't have the consistency to build the endurance and I didn't know how to pace myself and I wasn't running with other people. And okay. so I really just didn't know what I was doing. And it was just, it was just really not fun. I did not enjoy it. So you'd go from kind of just guessing one week you'd go out and you'd run five days and you'd hammer them out real fast and then you'd be exhausted and burnt out. So you'd run once the next week, maybe three times a week after that, take a week off, that sort of thing. I think it was even more pitiful than that. <laughs> Like, I think it was like, I would run like maybe a max of two to three days, maybe okay. three miles, maybe, and then take a two week off and then maybe another day here, day there. Like it was not something to be proud of. <laughs> well, that's really cool though. Cause you went from doing that for eight years to running 250 mile races. So yeah. that's awesome that somewhere then in the next 12 years, you figured everything out. So when you went to Virginia. Mm -hmm. 
did you meet a group of people or find a running group that helped you kind of lace it along to, oh, there's these five Ks. I want to go do those. Yes. Yes. So there's the where I live in Galax, the Galax Running Club. That's where I found the people who have been consistent for a long period of time. And in 2013, I was coming back from my first pregnancy and I was like, I want to I want to like make sure I'm losing the baby weight, make sure I'm really healthy and set a good example for my children. And so um, and then they ran at like 530 in the morning so I could do it before work. And I'm a morning person um, versus their dad is like a very evening person. So it kind of worked out really good schedule wise. So I, I just got to be where like I enjoyed the consistency, I enjoyed like getting out and being active. And then once I started being consistent, I was like, well, maybe I could do a, a half marathon. And and then I did the half marathon. I was like, well, I'm already halfway to like a marathon. So I think I could maybe keep going. And and then I, I stopped at the marathon because I got um, pregnant in 2013. So I've had a nine, like about 11 months of consistency. And I ran the Richmond Marathon. And then two weeks later, I was pregnant with my second child. So, okay. and then I cut it some, off for a little bit. Yeah. So I took some time off. Well, I ran about um, halfway through that pregnancy. And then oh, okay. I was a little clumsy. And so I was like, oh, for safety, I decided not to. And then, um, then I had her, my daughter in 2014. And then I took about like, you know, six months to kind of like do lots of walking and very slow jogging. And then I started getting consistent again. And in 2015, I ran my first 50K. So it was the okay. year she was born. Mm -hmm. What jump do you think was harder for you going from 5K to half or half to full? Oh, gosh. I, I want to say like looking back, I remember it being really difficult between like the 10k mark and the 10 mile mark like I, okay. there's something in between that that it was just really hard for me but then once i got to the 10 mile mark it was so much easier just to like just one more mile and add one more mile each week for my long run and it was much more manageable but for some reason that six between six and ten was like the hardest jump for me i think well if if 10k is your your max at that point that would make sense that anything beyond that's really far right i find <laughs> Personally, even with myself, like if I let myself go for a while where I'm not really training, not really consistent, my like right now, if I'm just going to go out for a run, I'm not going less than five miles, right? That's just kind of the baseline. I'm going for a run. It's going to be five miles. And a long run would start at 12 or so miles with those next seven miles in between being just a little bit longer run. So, but if I were to take four months of being lazy, all of a sudden my out the door becomes three miles. And anything over six miles becomes, oh, I'm going on a long run today. So it's definitely something you have to build up on. It can't happen overnight. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's all about perspective, too. Like how much your training load is and, you know, where you are, you know, endurance wise and, and fitness wise, because I've definitely ran an easy marathon and I've definitely ran a very hard marathon like it's yeah. <laughs> it might, the pace might be exactly the same and, and the feel is just so much different based on like my training and, and what's going on okay so from someone who was really inconsistent for almost a decade when you started out to finding that consistent consistency and growing from 5k to 10k to half to full marathon what advice do you have whether it be physical mental um all the above emotional 
um, advice for someone who's trying to get out of that inconsistent rut that they'd be in, whether it be for three months or eight years? So what I did, and I and that's what I tell people to do a lot of times is the same thing that I did. So I do a lot of habit stacking. So I don't know if you've ever read Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a great book. And so he talks about like habit stacking where you're putting something new next to an already established habit. So what they would do is so what I did was like, I have to have my coffee in the morning. So I'll have my coffee and then I go for my run and then I can take my shower. And so I, between my coffee and my shower, I put my run. And so it's just like, I have to put this new thing in between the two things I want the most in the morning. Okay. No, it's a really good idea. I like that a lot. Good. Mm -hmm. All right. So after our marathon, how long did, how much time elapsed between I've done my marathon and my first 50 miler? Do you remember how much time was in between there? Oh gosh, the 50 miler. So the first, the first marathon was in 2013 and then okay. the first 50 miler was in 2020. So seven years. Awesome. That's really cool. I'd see. So I'm, I didn't know you've only been doing this for four years or so. This really long stuff. I thought you were a way seasoned vet at this. So that's <laughs> really cool. What made you take that jump then finally to, I know you said you did some 50 K's in there. What made you make that jump of, I'm going far now. I want to go far. It was seeing other people be able to do it. And then 2020 was also when COVID happened. So there was nothing else to do. So I was running a lot during COVID. And then once I started to see that I could run a 50K or a marathon, you know, fairly easy. And then once I did my first 50 miler and I was like, I think I could keep going. Like, I honestly think that, that this isn't my, my, my max here. Like I didn't feel that tired after it, which sounds crazy. Um, so that's what really led me to it. Like, well, maybe, maybe if I really do put the work and I put the, the trading in there, I, it can be something I really enjoy. That's, I'm happy to hear you say that. That's a lot of similarities. I did my first one in 2020 as well, because I had time with COVID. Um, and then, yeah, I got done. And within a week, I'm like, man, I, I missed that. I feel like I could have done better. I feel like I could have gone more. And you just kind of get that hunger for it, which I feel like we got to a lesser degree, but you still get that the first time you do a half marathon, right? And you're like, oh, I can do a full. And then you do the full and you're like, oh, I can do. But I feel like with each step up, it gets more intense of more of a positive feedback on your end. And, oh, I can really go far. I can keep doing this. Yeah. So then we met um, because, boy, it would have been about a year ago now. Um, some random person posted in the Tridge to Bridge page, uh, which is a race here in Michigan. Uh, they posted on that page and said, hey, I've been combing over everything on the website. I can't figure out how I get into this race. Somebody please tell me how I get into this race. And that person was you. So, <laughs> which was awesome to that point. I think only one other female had signed up and started the Tridge to Bridge. I could be wrong on that, um, but I think one one female started it the first year. Um, and long story short, you ended up getting into the race uh, and being the first female ever to finish it. So that's awesome. Congratulations there. Tell me about that. How did you find out, or before that race, rather, what was the farthest you had gone up to that point? 100 miles. Yeah, I had done a couple hundred milers. Okay, so you've done 100. Were any of them like that, like a journey run, or were they crewed aid stationed races? No, they were all crude aid station races. Yeah. So how did you hear about Tridge to Bridge? And was 
any part of you scared of the, oh, I have to get all this aid on my own. I'm not going to have anybody helping me. Or did you just go, you know what? I've done a couple hundreds. Let me go tackle a 250 mile race by myself now. So, so I think I heard about it and I don't know. Cause I, I need to think, I don't remember the year, like I'm, I, but one of my friends in Michigan was like, she had heard something about people going from Midland to Mackinac city. And I don't know if it was runners or people on bikes. And, and so she had told me about it. And I was like, that sounds really kind of awesome. I kind of want to do it. <laughs> and, and I think she's living like in Saginaw or Midland, that area too. So like, we're all kind of like from the same area, but, yeah. um, she had mentioned it to me, I was like, that sounds really cool. But that, I think that had been like, it's been a couple of years before, like I actually pursued the group and pursued like thinking that I could do that. Uh, it was just kind of like a pipe dream. Like that'd be kind of cool when I first heard about it. But then I ran um, the hallucination 100 in Michigan. And I, then I was started like thinking about that more. And I was just like, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a pacer for that race. Uh, my pacer dropped out like the last minute. Um, so I, I went into that race, not like thinking I was going to have a pacer, but then I ended up not having a pacer. And so I was like, well, if I can do that, then maybe I don't need a crew either. <laughs> like maybe <laughs> I could just use my own, like we had the aid station at the hallucination 100 and they were so great. They were so kind, but I'm just kind of like, well, if I, if I can question whether or not I need a pacer, then maybe I can question whether or not I need a crew, whether or not I need aid stations too. like, maybe there's something to this. And so it was right after I had finished uh, Who's Nation 100. I think that I had made that post on the <laughs> which page. You were just still ready. You know, endorphins were still high. You were ready to go. <laughs> I think so. So it was somewhere around that time. Yeah. So let's talk about that race. I like to talk about that race. I've got a special place in my heart for it. Shout out to Matt Frazier, the guy who puts it on and created it. Um, I think that race taught me a million times more than any other race I've ever done taught me. How about yourself? Do you feel the same way? Yes. I mean, it was, it, I really describe it as like a transformative experience. Yeah, it really is. So when I saw you on day one, it was maybe two and a half, three hours into the race. You guys were, I think around mile 11 or so. And at that point, um, you were running alone already, which is fine. You run a lot of that, a lot of these races period alone. Um, and then I think throughout the race, you ran a lot of it with Sean, right? You found a buddy and ran with him. Yes. Tell me about running alone. If that was going to be a fear for you in the sense of like, I run alone all the time. Um, I don't run with groups. So I know running alone, I can probably be okay. Like keeping my mind going, but I really like to talk to people. So I get very lonely on these long, long runs. Were you worried about the loneliness of it? Did that scare you? No, I don't think so. Because I had, and once I knew that I was in and I was going to be doing it, I started doing a lot more solo runs. And I would okay. like, for example, from, from Galax to independence is, you know, a half marathon. So I would do like practice marathons, practice 50 Ks by myself and only use like gas stations for aid. So I was, I was trying to like already practice it and be by myself. So using a lot of like music and podcast, or sometimes I would make phone calls. So I kind of got used to being out there by myself. Okay. Have you found that sidebar that now on your long runs, you just use gas stations as your, as your re need to find aid? I kind of prefer it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> 
I went out on a 20 miler last week and I planned it the route along so that at mile 11, I'd end up at a marathon gas station where I could get a new drink and grab a little snack to eat. And then around mile seven, 15, I went by a McDonald's so I could grab a burger and another drink for dinner and then finish out the last little bit. It makes the run a lot more enjoyable. It really does. Like for example, so for my 40th, I was like, that was in January. I was like, I'm going to run 40 miles. So I was like, I can plan a route from Galax where I live to, from downtown all the way to freeze and then back and in freeze, there's this really cute little gas station and deli. And so I was like, that's like the 20 mile mark. And so it was just wonderful. Like I was so happy that they were open on my birthday and I got to like have a really great snack and then get back. And so that was my like birthday aid station. And I, I was just super <laughs> <laughs> like, so hearing you say you're super happy, that's one of the big things I took from Tridge to Bridge is it makes you appreciate real world problems more because you realize you get angry about things that aren't really problems. You find out what real problems are when you're by yourself running for 250 miles and you need to figure out where to eat and drink. But I really started to appreciate enjoying the little things. Like that's a big, big thing I took from uh, Tridge to Bridge. I remember after it's going to Alpena from Rogers or from Ascoda, you get done with the big hills and there's a Sitco gas station up on the left. Um, I don't know if you remember that gas station or not. Um, but after that, it's about 15 miles or so to this little tiny brunch. They close at like 1 PM yes. to get, yeah. And Tim and I tried so hard to get there in time and we got there a half hour before close and we had to sit outside and it was so hot and there was little fans on the ceiling outside on the porch and it was just pushing around hot air, but it still felt so much better than the hot stagnant air. And just, they had, the water wasn't anything great, but it was fresh water that you got to drink. What did you find on that journey that either taught you that lesson to enjoy the little things, just little things that really made you feel good or other big lessons that you learned during it? Oh, God. for me, it was more about like sleep, like finding okay. a good place to sleep. Um, I felt like that was, I was so grateful for the, the hotels that were accessible at the beginning of the race, because at the, towards the end, like there's that 40 mile stretch towards the end, um, that there's nothing, there's nothing that you can sleep on. I slept on a picnic table, I slept on the side of the road, I slept in a parking lot. Like it was so, that was like humbling too, to be like, if you don't have a home, like finding someplace safe to sleep is like a whole day's work. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of mental energy went into like figuring out where it would be a safe place. So I'm not going to get hit by a car and, and something bad might not like, hopefully will not happen. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about bad things happening. Um, and finding a place to sleep is a good example. Mm -hmm. There was two naps I took during that race that weren't in a hotel. Um, day two, I stopped and there was a church and I went and slept for about 20 minutes um, on the church sidewalk. And then the last day, somewhere around 11, I was just, I needed to get off my feet. I couldn't go another step. There was a driveway up north with a gate that came across it. So I knew no one was there. No one was be coming home. I stepped about three steps off the road into their driveway, laid on my bag and went to sleep. So my only worry at that point is don't get hit by a car. That's mm -hmm. all I have to think about. Your worries are probably much greater than that. And you have a lot more to think about being a woman running these races alone. 
what yeah. were those fears while trying to find a spot to sleep or just in general during the race? Well, um, definitely. Well, first of all, I made sure that one of my best friends in Michigan had my location on my iPhone at all times. And so, and she was doing a really great job in monitoring and sending me like texts. Like if I stopped for too long and I didn't tell her I was sleeping or I didn't give her an update, she was texting me to make sure I was okay. So I already had to have like a, a plan coordinated with somebody else to have my location at all times. Um, then I think, you know, the other thing is just making sure like if someone came in and asked me like where I was going, really kind of determine if I was going to tell them the truth or not. Um, or if I was going to be like very transparent that I was out there by myself. Um, so I think for, for this, I felt fairly safe. I was telling people that I was going to Mackinac City and that my friends were close by, like making sure that people knew I wasn't the only one out there. There's people here watching us or I'd be like, yeah, this really nice officer stopped by a couple uh, miles ago. And so they're cheering us on too, like making it very clear, like, hey, law enforcement has their eyes on us, which they did. I did see a lot of uh, state troopers who stopped and asked me, like, what are you doing? And kind of telling them and they were so supportive and kind. Um, but like kind of making sure that I'm aware of like what I'm telling people and, and how I am disclosing the information. Um, and then when I'm sleeping too, it's, I don't want to be seen honestly, or if I'm seen, I want to make sure that I maybe have the appearance of a male. <laughs> so that way they're not really sure uh, if I'm female or, or male. Um, I know when I'm running here in the dark in Virginia, um, a lot of times, like I'm making sure that I have a hat on, like I have a headlamp so I can like kind of blind people or I won't even wear a headlamp at all and just like, or have any lights whatsoever. So I'm not like seeing, I'm not visible. Um, so that way that they, I see them before they see me basically. So I have yeah. a better idea of who's out there. Um, and if I need to be like more cautious or not, um, generally they do mistake me for a male though, when I'm in the dark, because they don't anticipate a female's going to be out there, which is kind of to my advantage. <laughs> yeah. So I think you've kind of just answered it a little bit, but I want to reframe it to just maybe get a different response out of you. So um, I'm a real estate agent. And when I go and meet new clients, um, when I'm on my way there, if it's my first time meeting them, second time meeting them, um, all I really have in my mind is what we went over on the phone call and just kind of prepping for the job itself. Uh, sitting around the office the other day talking with some other agents, uh, one of the female coworkers I have, had mentioned things um, like she had an uncomfortable situation and she has rules where her first few times meeting a client, she won't go upstairs. She won't go in the basement. Uh, she, she keeps between them in the exit and just all these things that I don't have to think about as a male real estate agent. I go to do the job and luckily that's the only thing I have to think about. Um, so I was ignorant to that. Uh, is there mm -hmm. things like that in the running world with females where before you go out the door, before you put your headphones on, Here's my checklist I'm making sure happens today. Oh, definitely. And just making sure like someone knows where I'm going or has a general idea that I'm going to be out for a run. Um, that's the, the biggest thing. But then knowing what to do in like different situations, I think like what you're saying with the real estate agent and not going in basements or, or bedrooms and upstairs, it's the same thing. Like when you're in a, in a, a road type of race, like with trips to bridge or any journey type experience, um, I always make sure like if a car is parked on the side of the road for some random reason, because I've had random cars just stop and I don't know what they're doing. They're not in distress. They're just stopping and, and they're not 
saying anything to me. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's awkward. And so I I always choose. I will wait for traffic to pass and I will go out into the road to pass them rather than on the other side of the vehicle, not on the road. Because my logic is if something's going to happen, I want it to be happening on the road so another vehicle can see it. And like it's completely visible. They can't just snatch me up and like put me in the vehicle. Like if we're if we're going to if this is going down, it's going to go down in the middle of the road and everybody's yeah. going to see it. <laughs> like because I'm going to make a big fuss about it. Man, that makes me so upset to hear that you have to think about that stuff. I have a friend um, who when I shared the news of the tragic incident this weekend where another female was out running and got murdered while running. Uh, she had let me know, and she lives a couple, less than two miles away from me. And I'd consider this a super safe area where we're at here in Freeland. Um, but every time she goes running, she says she's got a knife with her. Um, she won't listen to music when she runs. And that's just super upsetting. As a race director, which you also are, um, I wanna talk about that. Do you, find women bringing things like that to races like is that something that most women who run are prepared for oh yeah a lot of my female friends who are runners like we have conversations sometimes about okay who's carrying today because um unfortunately like i we so we sometimes take turns carrying <laughs> um to make sure that we are safe and that's it's sad that we do have to think about that and like sometimes like you know i, I I do have a knife on me or I do have some type of, you know, self-defense mechanism on me. And that is a sad thing that you have to think about. And I, I mean, honestly, in last week, we just had a situation I was running in my neighborhood and I didn't bring anything. Cause I was like, well, I'm just going like, I'm going like half a mile and a half up the hill and a mile and a half back for three miles. And I'm going to do that twice for six miles. I've done it a ton of times. And then she, my friend got bit by a dog and neither of us, cause it was so close to the house we didn't have anything on us and it did happen really quickly. Like it don't know if, if would, it would have made a difference, but, um, but even like those, if we just don't know what's going to happen and that's really scary. It's no, it is really scary. When I got ironically that day, I found out about that news this weekend uh, from your Facebook story. I saw you posted it and I went out and I ran 10 miles. That was Saturday. And I thought about it the entire time. Uh, and it got me just really angry it, it reminds me a lot of like the terrible things that happens in schools nowadays and yeah. how our kids are prepared, more prepared than we are. Like if we were out at a public event when like the Kansas City uh, parade a few weekends ago after the Super Bowl, like if we were out at a public event like that, kids are more prepared on how to handle those situations nowadays than adults are because they get trained on it. And yeah. so thinking back to these comments women made um, this weekend on that post, of what happened it just bothers me that you guys have to be prepared and as i get done thinking about that i come home and my daughter who's four uh hears me open the door so she comes running into me and i went to pause my headset and uh, bad blood by taylor swift was just coming on she's a huge swifty so i was like hey penny guess what song just came on and i put it on her ears and stuff and it's the first time she's uh put my headphones on and anything running she thinks is the coolest right so she's just loving putting these headphones on, she keeps them on, keeps them on. Probably 30 seconds later, I take them from her. And she says, when I get bigger, I'm going to have running headphones and I'm going to listen to Taylor Swift and I run. And I said, absolutely, you sure can. And immediately all I'm thinking about though is when you get to that age where you can go running, what really are you going to be thinking about? You're not going to be able to just put on headphones and go for a run like dad can. And that's just, you're a mom. Do you have any daughters? 
I do. Yeah, my youngest is a, a girl. Yeah. Okay, and how old is she, if you don't mind me asking? She's nine. Yeah. Okay, so are you at that point where you're maybe having to have discussions with her about those awful things and the hard things? Yeah, well, definitely about stranger danger and making sure, like, okay. you know, keeping the door locked or not, or unless, like, you have explicit directions from me, you know, in, or your dad that, you know, you can be around this person or this person is a safe person. Like, you, would, you know, you need to make sure you're... I, they have their own phone. I make sure that they have internet. Like they all, like, I feel like it's a safety thing. Like they have to have their own phone so they can call 911. And okay. I will tell them like, you're going to call 911. You're going to tell me exactly what's happening. Like if anything ever happens like that, if you see somebody in the backyard or you see, you know, something that makes you uncomfortable, something, someone's outside the vehicle. Like if I have them in, stay in the car for just a second while I like run and grab like takeout Mexican, um, I'll say like you, the doors are locked, but you can use your phone to call 911 if you, something happens like immediately. Um, okay. But it's sad that we have to have those conversations. It, it is. And it's nothing I ever really had to think about. And having a daughter right away, I started to think about things like that, but it's nothing you really think. I can't think about it. Right. Cause I don't, I've never experienced it. I don't know, but Saturday kind of really made it hit home a little bit more. So what advice, cause it's not, not just me, there's plenty of people who have kids coming up who when they see you run, they just really want to run. She loves to run. So what advice as somebody who, who runs, who's a strong female athlete, but also has the same parental worries and not that you do have it all figured out, but what advice would you have to give to people who have that coming up in life? I think it's really about like teaching situational awareness and making sure that we keep our attention both on the joy of running and the Taylor Swift that we're listening to. Cause I do that too. I, I run with my headphones in. Um, and we also are aware of our surroundings and aware of like the energy and the vibes people are giving off. Cause you, a lot of times if you listen to your intuition, like it's dead on, like you can okay. really tell if someone's got good intentions or not. Um, and I can give an example that it actually just happened to me the night before uh, the race. And I haven't even told anybody about this because I was just like, it's just too much. I can't even deal with it. But uh, I had decided to get a, a hotel outside of um, in Chattanooga. And when I was going, I got in late because I had to work and it just took me a while to get out here, out there. And so it was a nice hotel, like a Fairfield. It's not like a sketchy place. It, usually mm -hmm. it's generally safe and it's in a decent part of Chattanooga. And I was walking from my car to the lobby and it was around like 1030. And a guy was following me saying, hey, you, you, you come here. Do you got a room? And I was just like, I'm not making eye contact. I already got, I know this is not a good situation I'm being placed in. And I was like, I'm just going to walk as fast as I can and not give the attention. I'm not going to acknowledge that I even hear. And I'm just going to make my way to that lobby door without running. Cause I'm like, we're, I'm not, I'm not running. <laughs> like, right. I'm not going to act like I'm scared. Like I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of that. And once I got to the lobby doors, I like told this front desk staff and they called the police and, um, but I was just like, I, and I told the front desk, staff like, I'm not the one, I'm not the one, please don't make me put me in that situation. Like I'm not the one. Um, yeah. I back to that, the, there was a runner runner's world article and I don't remember her name, but I just remember the situation that she, someone had a, attacked her. They waited into a, a bathroom and attacked her in the bathroom 
And she beat the shit out of that guy while screaming, like, not today, mother effer. And yeah. like, I, I remember, like, I remember her and that story and I don't know her name, but she's like, she's been my hero ever since I started running because I'm like, it tells me that it's possible to survive something like that. And, and then it gives me the inspiration to be like, I'm not going to let someone scare me to not do the things that I love to do, to not be out in public, to not run. Like I'm, if she can survive that, then I can survive that too. See, that's such a double-edged sword though. Cause that's great that your mindset is I'm still going to get out there and I'm still going to go after things, but that shouldn't, gosh, it just shouldn't have to be the mindset. Right. And you've got such unique perspective because you see it from so many angles, the athlete, the race director, the mom. So what, and I'm sure you guys talk about this frequently in, in your running group. I think a big problem we have with, with this issue or, or any issues really relating to it is I don't think people fully understand what the word privilege means. And I think so many people hear privilege and they just get to the mindset of what are you talking about? No one's giving me anything. No one's helping in this case, no one's helping me run these miles safely. No one's helping me get aid. No one's helping me do any of this when it's it's more of a you don't have to think about what i have to think about for example i got stopped on the way from midland to the mackinac bridge i hadn't other than when you go into places um to get food and stuff everyone talks to you but just stopping on the side of the road i had maybe two people one that i know of but probably two during the whole five days that stopped and asked what i was doing and if i was okay you had how many people if you could take well, a guess a lot like at least a more than 10. Right. And that just shows right there. Like, I don't have to think about people pulling over. I'm going to have two people over the course of 250 miles ask how I'm doing. You've got someone every hour and a half pulling over to talk to you. How, how do you find, or what do you think is a way to help find a solution to just help keep people safe? Cause I feel even in some instances, I remember in Bay City years ago, five years ago, I was doing the rail trail loop and there's some not so great parts on that rail trail loop. And I was running by, I think it was just after Essexville. And I look over and about 50 yards over in a parking lot is a lady and blood's just pouring out of her nose. She's got a shirt held up to it. She does not look like things are going great. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to approach her and make the situation worse, but obviously I don't want to just keep running and leave it be. So I hollered from a distance and it took her a little bit to even feel comfortable. It seemed like answering me once she did find out she just had a bloody nose when she was getting ready to go running. Her nose just started bleeding. But how do we figure out what to do to help keep each other safe more? I honestly think it, I think you've got a really great point about privilege for one, but then I too, I think that there's another aspect that plays into it, which is like just respect for women in general that just that basic respect and how like you show that just in a regular interaction, like that is the fundamental way to make someone feel safe. Like there's, okay. that really is what it comes down to. And I think that when we're not feeling safe, it's because ultimately the person that we're dealing with does not respect women. And there's a very much, a very um, like analytic. Yeah. Like it's like an animalistic, like, disrespect that, that says basically like this person does not matter in front of me. I'm not going to treat them the same as a male and I'm going to, you know, do bad things to them because I feel like I have the right to do that. 
Um, and that's to the extreme. I think there's different levels of disrespect and I've yeah. definitely experienced a whole spectrum of it, but, but that's what I really find it comes down to is just ultimate like disrespect of, of, of women. But it's the, the thing that I have to continue to remind myself. And I see that every time I go to a, a running event or I'm like when I went to Tritch bridge and I met everybody in person, like there's more good, there's more respect than there is disrespect. But the disrespect scares a lot of people. And it scares me too, to be honest, um, because I don't know what, what spectrum does it fall to. Does it fall to just general, you know, kind of like a jerk disrespect to like, oh, this person's now dangerous disrespect. Um, so at a whole, like the whole community is generally respectful, is generally really good. But there is a subsection that is not. And I think it's more about for the the role that men can play is like as asking questions like you're asking like having people like tell you their story um being like an advocate or even just talking about it openly because that makes a big difference um when we have men who are generally like interested in, in this topic of women's running safety it's it's amazing the support that you feel when you, you feel heard and you feel like it's taken seriously and you're not like called crazy or you're not called like you know demeaning things like paranoid or something like that like that's really validating to, to just have someone be like yeah i believe you i believe that you know this is happening and this is not okay and it's just, you shouldn't have to go through that yeah no thank you thank you for sharing that um speaking of the good things and how more is good than bad let's talk about the good things. You finished 243 miles. What was that like? I remember leaving, she getting into Sheboygan, which for those who don't know, at that point, you've gone 40 miles without anything. And you get to Sheboygan and you've got 17 more miles until the race is done. And at that point, I knew I was finishing that day. I was alone. I had been with Tim and Sean and they were well ahead of me. And I made the choice to go about a half mile off course to Dairy Queen. And I was going to sit and eat until I couldn't eat anymore, and then take my time slow rolling back um, before ultimately Tim said, I'm going to wait for you in a ditch, and then I caught up and we finished together. But during those last, I remember two, three miles, once you start kind of getting into the city and passing the campground and traffic's getting heavy again, you can see the bridge. I just started crying, right? I was holding it back because we're running, and I can't just blubber away while you're running. But I didn't even know why I was crying, right? Tears just start coming. It's just this big euphoric feeling Talk about anything that you experienced similar to that. Yeah, I had this sim a very similar experience. I think there's something magical about seeing the bridge off in the distance too, to be like, that's my finish line. It's right there. <laughs> and I and I did like, I had uh, some people stop me <laughs> at, a, at a race, at a, at, an, um, at a roadside like park, like right before, like you're going up the hill to get into Mackinac City, like between oh, city yeah and so i'd stop there to go to the bathroom and get some water and a couple stopped me and they're like are you okay do you need anything and i was like i'm i'm just on my way to Mackinac city i've gone this many miles i just have eight miles to go and i started crying it was like i'm gonna be the first woman to finish this and i'm so excited i'm so grateful and they're like well you sure you don't need a ride I'm like no <laughs> i have to finish this it's eight more miles i've got this but yeah i was a i was a just crying for most of it, like running through like Mackinac City, like, and there was a lot of tourists there too. And I was just, I had my sunglasses on because I don't want to think there's something wrong. 
yeah, they're all just trying to enjoy the touristy views. And here we all come coming through just looking dirty and disgusting, crying our eyes out. And they just give yeah. us that, what are you doing, look? <laughs> right. Like, are you okay? Like, I'm, I'm just like, I, I think I said, I'm, gonna, I'm in some physical pain, but it's more emotional than anything. <laughs> so at the park, that was kind of your big, you knew you were going to finish before that, but that was your big, oh, I'm going to finish this moment. Did you have moments previous to that where you maybe had the finish line in doubt or where you decided, okay, I'm going to finish this no matter what? What were those moments like? Yeah. So I ran by myself up until mile, I think 90. And then I caught up with Sean and we had dinner at a subway and it was kind of like, well, maybe we can stick together if we're kind of the same pace. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. I've never done this before. And he's like experienced in doing this. So I was like, I'll be happy to have a mentor through any of the miles. So we stuck together. Um, before we, we separated when I started taking a longer nap in a parking lot at a harbor, maybe like 20 miles before, maybe seven, 15, somewhere before Sheboygan. And then okay. he went on. So I was like, you, you're faster. You need to go. Um, so in the stretch, when we were like running together, we actually caught up with Matt. Well, yeah, we caught up with Matt or Matt caught up to us. Like probably Matt caught up to us. It would be more likely. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's super fast. And so we were all at this, um, that deli. And I think it's the same deli that you were talking about. Like there's, it's like there's a lake and. Yeah. Right off to the right <laughs> side there. This one was on the left, and it oh, was like a different one. Fishing one. It's like oh, 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 yeah. No, that's uh, that's kind of right around like the Grand Lake area. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep, that's a different one, but that one's delicious. Yeah. So we made it for breakfast there, and that's where uh, Matt caught us too. And that's when I like my legs were so swollen, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like this, my legs were so so swollen, and they hurt so badly. And it was like 168 miles in. And I, at that point, I was like, I don't know if I could do this. But both Matt and Sean were so kind and encouraging. And I, again, I was crying. <laughs> I think they, I've never seen, I've never had so many strangers see me cry before, I think. <laughs> um, and they wanted to take it. We took a selfie and like I had put my sunglasses back on. <laughs> my eyes look terrible. I was like, I don't, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know if I was going to make it much further. And and Sean just kept on being like, well, just, if you can run a little bit, just run a little bit. And he was so nice. And I just told him, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm probably just going to walk and cry. And if you're good with that, like, there's nothing you can say that's going to make it better. It just, I just got to work through it. It'll be okay. <laughs> Pretty much that I got, got out of it. It felt better. Good. I'm glad you say that, that your legs were swollen and you're getting through all that. Because I think a lot of people... Um, and I don't mean this in, in a boastful way, but they see us do these things and they're like, they're just incredible. They're out here just doing these things and they don't realize how much it hurts, the awful things that's actually going on and that we aren't having any fun with it at all. I'll give an example and I want you to share one if you have one similar. Um, just after that, that stop um, at that deli, Tim and I left, we were running together and we got maybe two miles down the road, way too far to turn around. And my stomach just started turning. I started sweating. Everything just got really bad. And I finally had to find, and then there was no spot to just go off the road because it was shoulder of the road and then like six foot ditches full of disgusting water, stagnant, awful water. 
So finally, after a couple miles, I find a like a bridge or whatever to get over the ditch. And I just went in that woods and got so sick for so long. And I'm just sweating, puking everywhere. Like it was just awful. My ankle was swollen up to like the size of a softball, just pouring over the sides of the shoe. And that was the only time where I was ever like, I don't know if I can go another 98 miles. Like this is, this is awful. I've never felt like this before. I just ate food. There's no more food for another 25 miles. And I just threw up all that food and all that liquid. So I don't even know if I can make it to the next uh, like fuel station, let alone the entire race. And luckily I had Tim with me. Like you said, you had Sean with me and he just kept taking another step, Tyler, just keep taking one more step at a time. And eventually it'll come back around. Do you have anything like that that you could shed light on for people to realize what you fight through on a daily basis when you do this stuff? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people do think that we're just like superhuman or like, it's not painful or anything like that, but it, but I think you, through the training and through the consistency, like you increase your pain tolerance, but there's nothing that can prepare you for the level of pain from going from hundred miles to 240 miles. Like that right. is the whole level of, of opening the pain gates in the brain. <laughs> and so uh, it, it is like, it's, it's just like, you have to realize like there's no avoiding it. It's about getting through it. Like you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you got to go through it. And the only way that you get better is by going through it and making it to the other side and realizing that you can do it. And for me, I always tell people like, look, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm like, I might cry the entire time. <laughs> That's okay, but I'm going to get it done because I'm showing myself that I can do it. And the crying is not like that big of a deal. So right. I think there's so there was no point. I just cry. <laughs> <laughs> there was no point then during the race where you thought, I don't think this is going to happen for me. You were from the get go. I came all the way to Michigan. I don't care if I don't make the cutoff. I'm crossing this finish line. I was pretty, pretty determined. I think there were some times like I was definitely doubting my ability, but I don't think I was ever like, I'm going to quit. I think I, I think I texted my, my best friend, Erica, that like, she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm just like, I don't want any, I just want coffee and I want to go home. <laughs> but I didn't like, it wasn't like a serious, like, you know, never like making a plan. It was more like, yeah, I'm, I'm just whining a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really wanted to see it through. Um, yeah. But I think that that was the, being the first woman to do it, um it was a That's pretty a good big carrot. big carrot yeah yeah so you had mentioned that you never doubted your ability do you have any doubts or what how do i want to put this so i get really hard on myself all the time so you'd mentioned earlier the backyard uh is a big blow to the ego i struggle with backyards a lot for that reason because i feel like and I've had mild success in them, but I feel like every time, if you don't win, you fail, right? If you're not the last one and it's hard to take. And I look at people, I thought you were one of them that have been doing this for years and they have all this experience and they've been through all this pain and almost every imaginable problem they've gotten through. And for the most part, ultra running is a 40 and over sport, right? Like that's when you get good. That's when you hit your stride. Mm -hmm. And I look at myself as, you know, two years ago, I'm like, I'm 28 years old. I'm not in the same class as these people. 
And I struggle, um, which is weird for me. I normally don't struggle confidence-wise, but in the ultra running world, I do. I just feel like I'm so much less prepared than most people. And I do have those self-doubts almost every single time I race. My next race is April 20th, and I'm already like, oh, man, I'm not nearly as prepared as half these people are going to toe the line. Do you have anything like that that you really get down on yourself for or any insecurities when it comes to running far? I really just look at it like the fact that I'm doing it is a really good thing. So I know I've shown up to races where I didn't have the training in and I didn't. I mean, I could even look at like hallucination 100. I was struggling a lot with shin splints before that race. And I was doing a lot of hiking and my longest distance was like 30 some miles hiking. Like I didn't do any long runs to prepare for that. I was just like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to see, but I don't know. Like, and I'm like, okay, I don't have a pacer. Like, so <laughs> I, I'm just a, a big fan of like, well, I'm just going to show up and see what happens and try my best. And and usually it works out pretty good. But I, I also remind myself, like the question that I will ask is like, well, has there ever been a time that I've done something, no matter the race, that, or anything outside of in life in general that I felt completely prepared to do, that I was 100% confident that I was going to do? And the answer is no, because like there's no there's no guarantees. Like anything can happen. And I think it's just really like trusting your ability to to manage whatever can happen. Like you, if you got the knowledge, you got the experience, you can figure it out. Everything is figure outable and there's like multiple different solutions to any type of problem. So... I think you just have to have that confidence in yourself to know, like, I can figure this out. And even if I can't, I can find somebody else to help me to figure it out. So I think that's my mindset, I guess. Yeah, no, that's super good advice. You said two things that I really liked. Um, Just showing up, like you said, showing up and getting started. And then everything, how did you word it? I really liked it. Uh, Every problem is solvable. Um, There's a solution for it. And I think that's just what people really need to take from it is just show up. There's going to be problems. There's going to be obstacles. Things are going to be hard. And there's a way to get through it, get around it, get under it, get over it. Uh, So thank you for putting it that way. Um, I'm going to let you get going here. Is there anything else? If someone was brand new sitting in front of you, they wanted to start walking, they wanted to start biking, they wanted to start running, they wanted to increase what they're doing that you would say to them for encouragement. I think it's just be consistent and know that you can do it with the right plan and people around you to support you. Cause I think that makes a big difference is having supportive people who believe in you so that way you can start believing in yourself. I agree. Thank you, Melissa, for hanging out and talking with us today, sharing all the wisdom for everybody. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much.